Good Sunday morning, Cottage Hill family and friends. Thanks for joining us for another online worship. I'm standing here in our cafe here at Cottage Hill, where normally people would have come in early for a breakfast sandwich or a cup of coffee and to connect with each other before we even knew the word social distancing. We're glad you've joined us. We're glad you've broken the distance between home and here and home and heaven by worshiping together with us. Hey, would you pray with me as we get started? Father, we thank you, new day, that you say your mercies are new every morning. Thanks that you're looking upon us with fresh eyes, with fresh love, and with a fresh plan for us, no matter where we are, whether we're walking strong with you, whether we're just trying to decide whether we even believe in you. Here we are. So speak to us today through all these different venues. We're grateful for them. We're grateful that we can meet and worship in this way. We're grateful that there'll be a time when this room will be loud again. So bless us in this service. Let us hear from you, Jesus. We pray that to the glory of your name. Amen. Always by my 
In today's worship, I want to wrestle a little bit with the question I've been asked by a couple of people. Do you think the virus is God's judgment on the world or God's judgment on America? I used to look at things that would happen and I'd wrestle with that. In fact, I want to show you a place where I would struggle with that a lot until I finally realized this is terrible theology. Yeah, that's right, I'm in a bathroom. I hate getting sick to my stomach. Whenever I would get sick to my stomach, I was convinced that I'd done something wrong and that God was punishing me in a way for that. So I'd have my head over the toilet and I'd be thinking, what, what have I done wrong? God, just show me what I've done wrong, getting wrong. Now, I went three years of Bible college, then I went to four years of seminary. It was in my last year of seminary where I finally, head over the toilet, thought to myself, this is terrible theology. If God was trying to get your attention, he has a lot different, a lot better ways to do that. In fact, isn't what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do is draw me back in when I'm out of line and not just cause my stomach to get upset? We get a number of people that struggle with that in the same way. What have I done that's ticked God off? So as I said, I want to wrestle with this question that is the virus, is that a sign of God's judgment on the world or God's judgment on the United States? Or if you get it, that God's judging you because you got sick and other people you know maybe didn't get sick? I've got a passage, it might not be the first passage you think of, where we could find some answers to this and what's God's heart and what's God's mind in this, but it does have some good things to say to us. So if you've got a Bible or a device and you want to follow me, I'm in Luke 15. I'm going to start in verse 11. Now Luke 15, Jesus is telling a couple of stories as a way of illustrating a point, answering a question that's been asked of him that has to do with God's heart. In, in Luke 15:11, it says, now, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So he divided his property between them. I want to stop there. I kind of want to go through the story in increments as we make our way, as we make our way through. We're looking at this old son. We're looking at what he said to his father, and we're seeing this principle play out that there are times when we deserve it. Whatever the it is, it's not good, but we deserve it. You're in a culture in biblical times and still in the Middle East, you're in a culture of honor and shame. You treat people with respect. You honor your elders. You honor your family. You certainly honor your father and take care of him. Your father would oversee the farm. He would oversee the business until he physically couldn't do it or he couldn't mentally, he wasn't capable of dealing it anymore. And then at that point, the sons would, in a respectful, honoring way, kind of help him transition out so that they could lead things. Well, this father, this father is still physically healthy and he's still emotionally capable. And yet the son comes to him with this outrageous request. If you're listening to Jesus in that time, you're shocked that a son would say that to his father. That they're living under the law of Moses. And, and Moses even spoke of how important it was to respect your parents and what parents could do with an, a disobedient child. The law of Moses would also talk about property. Then under the law of Moses, the oldest son would be the, the biggest inheritor. The oldest son would inherit twice as much as any other children. So if this man has two sons, then the older brother is getting two-thirds of the property and the possessions, and the younger son's getting one-third. This is a huge slap in the face 
to, to the Father. And Luke, Luke points out a couple of important details along the way. The Son is saying to the Father, I, I want to get out of here. I, I want to be out of this place. The Son is, is going to go to a, a far country, Luke is going to tell you. It's not just that he wants to get away from home. He wants to be out of there. He wants to be out of there. He wants to be away from everybody. Luke makes an important little note too when he tells you, this is the younger son who's saying this. So the younger son is disrespecting his older brother and he's disrespecting his father. But whatever's coming from the way we wire things or the way we interpret things, he deserves it. He deserves it. I mean, a lot of parents, a lot of parents can identify with the story. A lot of children can identify with the story what the son is saying, what's behind the statement, just give me my property, just give me what's coming to me. Sometimes the statement is, I don't want, I don't like your rules. I, I don't like your rules. I don't think they're fair. I, I think they're too harsh. I think they can find me. They hold me back from being who I can want, who I'm supposed to be. So, so I want out of here. I don't like your rules. Or sometimes the statement behind the statement is, I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be part of this family. I want to be on my own. Or, or the statement that might be made is, I can do better myself. And I know you've got a plan. I know how you do things. I know your priorities. I know your values. I can do better for myself. And so, give me. I mean, isn't that what he says in, in verse 12? He just goes to the Father with, give me. Has a sense of, you owe me, that some of us bring to God. Isn't that what we say to God? God, would you give me this? Me, whether you're active, involved in a church, you're a follower of Jesus, and, and you come to him and say, Jesus, would you give me this? Is this what you can do? Or whether you really don't have much to do with God until those times when you need him, and then we kind of fall into that younger brother, give me. Hey, give me a job, would you, God? Or give me a, give me a girlfriend, give me a boyfriend. Put someone in my life. I want a relationship. I'm kind of lonely. God, I, I need some more money. I need some more money. This, I need to live better than I'm living now. God, I need wisdom. Hey, certainly, God, right now, I need health. Give me. We repackage it into an, in a lot of nice ways. Sometimes we just say nice prayer language. You know, God, Father, you own all these things. You're so kind. You're so good to me. Sometimes we start making promises and those kind of things, and we do that. We just kind of, we put ourselves, we put ourselves in, in in that whole place, and we really are saying to God, give me what I deserve. I mean, that's really the arrogance of it all. Just give me what I feel like I deserve from you. I hear a lot of this, uh, I hear a lot of this, people who are walking away, or even from politicians, when you'll hear this, God bless America. God bless the United States of America. And I love the United States of America. I'm so thankful that I was born here. I've had a couple of opportunities to travel to the third world and that will make you appreciate things we take so for granted here in the United States. I'm just so thankful for, to God that, that I'm here, that I grew up here, that this is where I am. The truth is, there's a lot about America that's not blessable. We become a very violent culture. We become a very greed-driven culture. We're certainly a proud culture. Even listen to people we're going to beat this we're going to beat this and i hope we beat this and i'm praying for the president i'm praying for leaders i'm praying for scientists and I'm praying for we're certainly praying for healthcare workers and food distribution people and 
on and on and on it goes in those places. But there's this, we can do this. That's not a, if we humble ourselves and turn to God and cry out to him for help. I mean, that's assumed, but that's kind of assumed in the give me. So there's a pride to our, to our culture. Hey, there's an immorality to our culture. Our culture is far from what God says is morally right and morally works in the long term. There, in our culture, there's so little value on the life of unborn children. In, in our culture, we just can't seem to get away from racism. We can't seem to finally bury that and make it part of our history instead of part of our current stories. So there's a lot about America that's, that's not blessable. But, but we, you know, when we look at it, we would say, God, are you judging America because of that? Or, or what's going on in this moment? Oh, we look at this boy who's just gotten away. We look at this boy who goes to a far country, who gets away from it all. And then it tells us about what he does when he, he gets to that far country. You know, it's what he wanted, and so it's what he wanted, and so he's glad to be there. But it says that when he got there, at the end of verse 13, it said he squandered his property in reckless living. He squandered it. It didn't seem like it was squandering. It, it, it didn't really go like he planned it to go either. It's his property now. You notice that before it was the father's property, and then he gathered the property, but now he spent his property. It was his, and, and he uses it the way he wants to use it. He, his dad can't tell him what to do anymore. His dad can't hold it back from him anymore. It's his. And it didn't really seem like he was wasting it at the time. He was just doing things he felt like he deserved. Or he was just kind of doing things he always wanted to do. Or he's just doing what seemed to be fun. Or he just was having a blast with these new friends of his. And, and Proverbs will even tell you, when Solomon writes to his teenage son, Proverbs will tell you that, boy, wealth will bring many friends. It will bring people into your life. Well, he liked that. He, he, liked, the he liked the distraction. He liked the distraction that the money brought him. He didn't have to think about farm anymore. He didn't have to think of his past. He didn't think of his father or his brother or all those things that he had to do anymore. He was able to live by his rules and achieve his goals and, and go in that way. Funny thing, he burns through all of his money. It said he squandered, it squandered his, his money. How did he put that? In reckless living. The funny thing, when he burns through the money, a severe famine arose in that country. When he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And then things changed, then things changed for this young man. A famine. And things went from bad to worse, to worser, to worst. You know, it says that when he, he's in that country, he's in need. He, so he went out and he hired himself, got a job to one of the citizens in that country. And they sent him in the field to feed pigs, which in, in Old Testament law, pigs were an unclean animal. So whether that's just a slight that this man in the far country outside the land of Israel is doing to this Jewish boy, just a Jewish young man, making him work with pigs. And then it gets worse when he finds himself jealous of pig slop. He said he's longing to be fed with the pots that the pigs ate, and, and no one gave him anything. It went to that. It went from there to there. 
and, and everyone around him went away. See, because it says, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is desired by his friend. You notice there's just one friend at the end of things. Hey, is this, is this cause and effect that here he is at the end of this time, jealous of a pig's life? He goes from having all of what his father gave him to being jealous of pig food. Is that cause and effect? Is God mad at him and causing that famine? I want to come back in a minute and just try to answer that. Hey, so I told you my story of how I used to think God was angry at me whenever I got sick to my stomach, trying to figure out what I did that was wrong, and finally realized how twisted that was. I was talking to my friend Joe. He was saying he always lived with that, that sense that God is always angry with him. And you were saying that was from childhood, Joe, right? Yeah, so I, you know, uh, uh, as far back as I can remember, I've always felt God was angry with me and that I could never please him or there was something that I was doing wrong. And, it, you know, I, I was raised into a family that, you know, it, you know um, that was, I was taught that. God's strong, but, you know, he, he, and uh, he's punishing you. And, and so I've always felt that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how did that play out in having a relationship with him? I mean, well, I didn't trust it's him. tough to get close to people that are angry with you all the time. Yeah. yeah. It's tough to trust them. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't I, I had trust issues for sure, you know. I, I, I you know obviously, you know, if if you're taught there's a God, then you're taught that you're loved and God loves you. Yeah. And you know, just as you're taught that other people love you and they and they you know, and, and they fail you. Yeah. At times, right? So yeah. you know, and and I've always felt like a failure. So if I'm failing and I'm not pleasing God then you know, I, I've always felt that he, he uh Loves me, but he doesn't like me very much. Yeah, I mean, that's what you were saying earlier. That really, I mean, not only is he angry at you, he really doesn't like you. Right. He's, he loves you almost like he has to because he loves the world. But right. when it comes to Joe... Yeah, just as the father could love their son and not like him very much. Yeah. You know, and, and so and so you, you try to please him and then you fail. And then, you know, and then you feel like, okay, I'm waiting for, you know, the, the other shoe to fall, yeah. so to speak. And yeah. So... Yeah, I've had I even today I still have trust issues because I I listen to the wrong voice. Yeah, the wrong voice in your head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're saying you come you come up with some things for that for you that have helped just kind of deflect that false thinking about God. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah, you know, so I've learned from you know some teachings that you know when I became saved that you know the Bible teaches you know. Uh, stay in the Word, which yeah. is to read it or listen to it, which I'm, I I really go towards that one. Um, worship yeah. and prayer. Yeah. And the worship part, when I talk about worship, I, I, I have, you know, everybody likes their own style of music, and I have a ton of it, and it never fails. When I'm in a jam in my mind, and I'm always thinking negative thoughts I go to my worship and I can just disappear into in, into this uh, relationship with God and I can just I love that part of it yeah that's why music is so important yeah and I think there's a lot to that yeah yeah, yeah. there sure is yeah yeah worship yeah it's very important 
And then you said you were talking about just the importance of people being together. Right, and fellowship. So everybody talks about prayer and uh, reading the Word and um, worship, but there's that fellowship part where you, you, you being plugged into a church with like-minded people, you know, you, you go all through the Scriptures, and, and Apostle Paul talked about that numerous times. And there's that congregation, you know, even David talked about it in Psalms, in the congregation I will exclaim. Yeah. From the grave, from the grave, you lifted me. Yeah. So it's talking about the communication that you would have with people that are like-minded. Yeah. And that can't be beat. Yeah. Because you need that, especially you know. Yeah. From what we're living today, oh, when yeah. all this stuff's going on with everybody's concerned and they're scared and you're walking around, and you know, uh, to have the like-mindedness of people that feel the same way. Is a relief. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a relief. People can kind of speak speak truth into you. Yeah, as you're saying, that's really a huge role Val's had in your life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, so oh, she encourages me. She's a godsend for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah, the positiveness of Valerie in my life is a, a godsend. So, like, what kind of things will she speak to you? Well, that she's kind of offset the the punishing God mentality, yeah. Well, when I get into my negative rants, yeah. right, she'll, does, does that glorify God? That's her favorite phrase. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love So, it, and uh, her, her big smile, and she's like, just, does that, is, is your actions right now, or your attitude, does that, is that glorifying to God? And when she asks me that question, it always brings me back home. Yeah. It brings me back to, you know, why am I doing that? Yeah. It doesn't really know. And the answer question is... And some people would hear that and say, okay, that, that must make you feel like God really wants to punish you now because you're not glorifying Him. But that's not the effect it has on you. Correct. Yeah. Because of the way she does it. It's yeah. a different atmosphere. It's, a, it's, it's not a uh, condemning, uh, loud, insulting... It's more of a comment, like, does that glorify God? Yeah. And it's easy to approach me that way. Yeah. Because, like, we were talking about before, and I don't like bullies. And if you're going to come at me harsh like that, I'm either going to go in a shell or I'm going to come back in a different direction. Yeah. And either one is wrong. Yeah. So when you come at me with, so I'm looking at a book right there on your shelf, it's called Tender Love. <laughs> And it's uh, written by some, I don't know what it is, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's like staring right in my face. It's tender love. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Right? Quite the opposite than harsh, punishing love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that whole, you're going to get what's coming to you. Is God mad? Is this virus? Is that God's judgment on the world? That thinking that even though there are times we may deserve it, that theology, that thinking that, you know, when you get what's coming to you, there's just something twisted about that. Whether it's me throwing up or one of our, one of our young guys in the church was telling me just in the course of his journey, he's had, he's had a couple of seasons where he's been in a psych ward and just being there convinced that God is punishing him for things that are going on. That's just twisted theology. I want you to see what goes on in the rest of the story and, and how that speaks to this question that we're wrestling with a little bit. Because it says about the son that when he came to himself, 
I mean, he's lost everything he had. He's got a job. He's feeding pigs. He's jealous of what the pigs are eating. And he comes to himself. That's what the, what the verses mean. Some will say he came to his senses. He finally opened his eyes to what was really going on. And he came to self, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and I perish here with hunger? I'll arise and I go to my father and I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I mean, he's so bad that that's a step up for him. And he arose and he came to his father. I mean, we get to that point. I'm going to go back. I'm going to make this right. God, here I am. We come back and we come to God and we've got our speech together like he's got his speech together. But our speech involves a lot of times, a lot of promises. God, I just promise you fix this one and, and I'll go to church every Sunday. I, I promise if, if you get me out of this, I will clean up my act. If you take care of this for me, if you provide this money, if you fix my car, if you get me this job, whatever that is, all these promises... All these situations, we make all these promises. I'll stop doing this. I'll start doing this. I'll never, I will always, whatever that is. This boy goes back, he repents. He's got those four points. Sinned against heaven, sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be part of this family. Just let me work for you and eat. And probably all the way back, he's practicing that speech. Just like you are when you're in moments that seem intimidating to you. You've got to speak to somebody at work, you got to ask a teacher to fix a grade, to adjust a grade. You're practicing, like, this one I'm going to say, this I'm going to say it. And I think he's doing that all the way home. Let's talk about, let's talk about this question. Is the virus God's judgment on the world? Is that what God wants us to be wrestling with at this moment? That would be like, here we are in the story, and, and Jesus has just said, he rose and he came to his father. And, and, and somebody saying to him, Hey, Jesus, could you, could you stop for a minute? I, I, ju I just got a, a quick question. There's something I've been, I've been thinking about. I'm, I'm trying to figure out. And, and the Lord Jesus was just, well, what is it? He said, was that famine? Was that God's judgment? Or did that just happen? And, and it would be like, what? What? He said, no, that, that famine, was that God's judgment on the boy? You know, when we ask questions like that, a lot of times we're losing the point of the story. It's at the beginning of, of Luke 15 that Luke tells us why Jesus told this story, because Jesus was always intentional. It says, it says at the beginning of Luke 15, it says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This is a New Living Translation. So this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Joe, Jesus told him this story. He told him about a man that had a hundred sheep and lost one and did everything he do to find that one. He told him a story about a woman that had ten coins and lost one, did everything she could to find that one coin. He told him a story about a man who had two sons. One son insulted him and left him, but then started to come back because the story... The story is about God's heart. The story is not about getting what you deserve. The story is about when you don't get what's coming to you. Because as this story plays out, and, and so many of you know how the story of the prodigal son goes, it's a story of God's heart. 
It's a story of God's grace. It's a story that at the worst time in a, in a young man's life, when he's brought all these things upon himself and he has a right to expect judgment, instead he gets grace. Instead he gets grace. In fact, Jesus will, Jesus will talk about ten, 10 things that go on, 10 things that the son receives that he doesn't deserve from the father. He goes back and he's, he's got this speech and he's all ready to go. And in verse 20 he says, but well, he was still a long way off. His father saw him. While he's a long way off, the father is looking for him. And the father looks for him and then Jesus says, and he had compassion. He felt compassion. He still felt something for that boy, even with what the boy had done to him. And not only compassion, but he ran to him. That's a very... That's a very inappropriate thing for an older man to do. I heard someone speaking one time said normally they would have kept that boy at the city gates and the father would have never wanted to see him because of what he'd done. Not this father. This father runs to his son. Hey, an old man running is never a pretty sight. See, he runs to him. When he gets to him, he embraces him. He gives him a hug, not a slug. He hugs him to let him know he's welcome. And then he kisses him to let him know he's family. He does all these five things before the son can even start his speech. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's all he gets out of his mouth. He doesn't even get to finish it because the father has more grace for him to receive. But the father said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him. It's probably what's he got to wear at that point. Put a ring on his hand which would be a sign of authority. Put shoes on his feet, which again lets you know how bad it got. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. So let's have a feast for this boy. And then this last word, that the tenth, tenth thing, which summarizes everything, and let's celebrate. For this, my son was dead, he's alive, he's lost, he's found. And they began to celebrate. See, this is grace. This is God's heart. God's heart is not judgment. This is what the boy thought he would get. This is what the boy actually got. He got grace, and God has plenty of grace for us. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He's got plenty for all of us. See, God's judgment, that's not the heart of the story. The heart of the story is God's love and his desire that we come to him or that we come back to him or that we come right to him. John 3:16 such a familiar verse says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Did you read did you realize that the next verse puts an exclamation point at that? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world through him might be saved through him. In Ezekiel, one of the prophets, and we think of it as a harsh part of the Bible, Ezekiel says about the Lord, As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? Even, even through the book of Revelation, there are terrible judgments of God at the end of, at the, end of the world. But all through that, you have, at one point, you have two messengers who are proclaiming the good news. At one point, you have an angel in the air proclaiming the good news, giving people an opportunity to come home because that's God's heart. A virus, 
you know, a famine. It's an opportunity to check where you are with God. You know, do you belong to God? Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Have you committed to following him as the leader of your life, as your Lord? A lot of people are quoting this verse, and I understand that it's part of Old Testament Israel's covenant relationship with God. But there's a principle here that's true for nations, it's true for, for individuals. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Hey, this isn't God's land, but this is a principle he works by. When people understand what they're doing in relationship to God and they humble themselves like this boy and they turn like this boy and, and they come back, then God hears that and he forgives that and he restores that. I just want to speak a second to those of you who, who are listening to this and you're right with God. In fact, you really have a hard time with people that are not right with God. You have a hard time with some of these things that make America unblessable. To you, I would just say, boy, you don't want to be the older brother in this story. The older brother's out in the field. He's done everything right, but he will not go into that party. So the father goes out and says, why aren't you out here? And the son says, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and he's alive. He's lost and he's found. Hey, never never begrudge people for coming back. That's that's the heart of our Father, that, that people do come back. So our, our question is, is this because God is mad? It's the wrong question. The point of the story is, hey, make sure you're not giving God a reason to be mad. Make sure you're coming home, because that's his invitation to us always. Come home. In awe of your name, your mighty love. 
Good morning, church family, and good morning to everybody watching on Zoom today. Um, I am truly blessed and grateful to be here, to be online, to be asked to share a little bit of my testimony, and to most of all, I am grateful for the loving God I have in my life, despite the uncertainty that is going on in this world today. And as I say that word uncertainty, um, that rings true to my heart in a way of my past. Um, uncertain, I was very uncertain of God. I did not know what I know today. What I grew up in was <clears throat> a so-called Catholic home who did not um, do any religion but what was told to me was um, many things bad going on in my life or what happened in my life. Um, if I did not do all these things, um, there wasn't really much talk of God. What was talked to me was, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And um, that is not true today. And I'm grateful to have found that out. Um, what happened to me is... Um, after being told many a times you're going to your you're going to hell you're going to hell um I never thought that I was worthy I never thought that I could um find love find care um of the unknown and the unknown to me at that point for a long period of time in my life was God I did not know I did not understand and as I grew in life um I took I took a dark road and through that dark road, I pushed everyone aside. And um, being instilled in me that you're going to hell, you're going to hell, I was never told to trust and rely and, and find that that loving God. Um, so I never tried anymore. Um, it wasn't, there was too much work. I didn't know what to do. So instead, I just t totally turned my back and, and lived my life on my own self-will. And um, that turned out to be very ugly. And... Um, the ugliness took me to places where I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be anymore. And there came a point in my life where I got out of those places. Um, and I was surrounded by people that, you know, started telling me, just, just believe that I believe. And there is a light that shines within you. And I never thought that that was possible for me. Um, so I just, you know, gave it a shot because I didn't like where my life was. I didn't like what was going on. Um, so as I, you know, as that grew within me, they said, just pray because I pray. And I started seeing these little changes. And um, my boyfriend at the time was, was attending Cottage Hill Church and he would go to church on Sundays and it was never, you know, kind of pushed to go. I just never asked to go. And what had happened for me changed my life in the most greatest way is, um, he brought home this pamphlet and it said there was going to be a woman's um, thing going on at Cottage Hill. And, and I asked him, can I go with your sister? And I went to that church um, function. And what I did find there was love, women who cared about me, um, welcomed me with open arms. And my thoughts and my feelings started to change towards God. Um, so what that looked like for me is... I called a friend um, who is very near and dear in my heart, and her name is Leanne. And I said, I, th I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to, to accept Jesus. And um, 
she paused and she asked to pray with me. And from that moment forward, um, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And today I know that I am his child. I, I did that and I am a child of God. And I also took the next step um, at Cottage Hill. What it says to do is um, I was baptized in the church and that day was the biggest blessing in my life. And I know today that through all the uncertainty that's going on in the world and all the not knowing, um, what I know today is that I am certain that God is within me and I have a loving, caring father that if I trust and rely on him, that everything is going to be okay. And that's, that's a thing that I do daily. Um, I have a my prayer life is growing and that light within me is shining brighter and that's all because of God. Um, I want to thank you here at Cottage Hill Church, Pastor Jeff, Leanne, um, my now husband for, for guiding me and showing me the way. And most of all, I want to thank you, God, for loving me for who I am and disregarding all those bad things that I've ever done in my life and letting me know that I follow you, I am your child, and the most important thing that resonated with me in my whole life that I didn't really have feelings for was that I am loved, and I am loved by my Father God, and I'll be forever grateful for that. Thank you all for letting me share. Hey, what a great story Jess's is. It's a story like any story of someone coming to their point in their life where they realize that they need the Jesus factor, they need to repent of those things that have gone on and then be released from punishment because he's been punished for us. And then the transforming work that he does, just amazing. Last June, Jess celebrated 10 years clean and sober and the work just continues. We're really, really grateful for her. If you're part of the Cottage Hill family, thanks so much for your faithful giving. Uncertain times for all of us and times when we're just putting God's faithfulness to the test. He said, he says in Philippians, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So thank you. There's several ways that you can give texting at our website, cottagehillchurch.com through your bank, we're mailing that in a course or soon we hope to have a donate page on our Facebook. And then Wednesday night, over 50 people from the Cottage Hill family joined together for a Zoom prayer meeting. We'll do that again this Wednesday. If you'd like to be part of that and you're not part of our church family, just email your address in to info at cottagehillchurch.com and we'll, we'll get you in on that important time. It's part of who we are, our mission statement, cultivating a body equipped with the word and empowered by prayer to make disciples that change the world. Have a great week serving the Lord and seeing that happen.